Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. And welcome once again to Law Technology Now. I'm Monica Bay, and I am absolutely delighted to have the fabulous John Cleves with us today. Uh, Before we get to that, I'll give you the usual housekeeping, just to remind you that you are again listening to Law Technology Now, which you can also hear on three sites. You can find us at the ALM site, which is lawtechnologynow.com. You can find it on our partner Legal Talk Network site, which surprise and surprise is legaltalknetwork.com. And as I always say, because we are so cool and so hip, especially today with today's topic, you can also find us in Apple's iTunes podcast library. And today we're going to talk about one of my current obsessions, the iPad. And I have a wonderful guest, John Cleves. And John, why don't you start by telling our listeners, if you would, a little bit about your background and what you're doing now. Sure. I am currently the practice support supervisor for the Los Angeles office of Latham & Watkins. I've been an attorney since 1992, and I've spent all that time working in litigation of all kinds of shapes and sizes. And you are one of our newer members of our LTN Editorial Advisory Board, for which we profoundly thank you. You're also the author of an article in the November issue of LTN called Build Your Own App. And this is part of a package with another uh, frequent contributor to LTN, Ross Codner, who wrote a wonderful overview called Independence Days, D-A-Z-E, that talked about how the iPad is changing the terrain of remote practice. And one of the things that Ross argues is that there are numerous ways that iPads, uh, even with their limitations of having no USB uh, a plug which drives me crazy, uh, nonetheless are really good tools for everything from being able to access your practice management systems, go online and retrieve your email, which I absolutely love because it automatically loads any web references, uh, to checking calendars, reviewing documents, etc. Um, if you want to see Ross's story, you can see that in our November issue. And the uh, address for that is www.lawtechnews.com. John, you wrote the sidebar article and you talked about building your own app. Uh, As we start, I know we have some members of our audience who may not really be all that familiar with iPads and might be skeptical about their use in the legal environment. Can you start before we get under the hood a little bit and tell us why so many law firms are starting to develop apps and why they are important? Sure. Um, First, I'd like to say that practice support here at Latham is part of the technology department, and so I'm got my finger on the pulse of technology, and we've noticed a number of both our partners and our associates coming in with their iPads and wanting to um, merge them into the system and be able to use the iPad to check their regular emails when they're at home or when they're out of the office, um, to have their calendars on there, even to use the iPad to use our terminal servers to access their work computers um, from their iPads. So it wasn't necessarily that we were going out of our way to um, bring iPads into the system. The users, the attorneys, 
um, are finding it to be so convenient that they are wanting and they're forcing us to find a way to use it with the system. And I'm noticing a lot of litigators are, are the first adopters within the legal environment. Uh, when, when I was in ILTA in August, it was almost comical that, uh, in fact, someone joked that the reason there was a shortage of, of iPads was because absolutely every single person in ILTA was walking around with one, including me. That's true. And actually, I've heard um, talk that there are some senior partners at other firms as well who've been spied in court. Some of the, the um, people you might not expect to have been such early adopters are trying to use it with their uh, workflow in court. Um, and it seems to be working to their advantage because they have so much more information right at their fingertips. I've heard the same thing. And Craig Ball was talking about how, how helpful they are in the courtroom. I think partly because they're almost, they're so small that they are inconspicuous and yet they are big enough and the resolution is so phenomenal that you really can quickly and discreetly use them in my experience. Have you found the same thing? Definitely. And the, the Zoom function is very helpful if you need to um, read things more easily. Um, also, I think that the instant on that the iPad has is, or, or the Android or any of the competitors have, is so much more effective than going into court with a laptop and waiting for it to boot up and to load up all the different programs and things like that. Yes, I would totally agree. It, it certainly has its limitations, but it's been exciting for both publishing and legal to start looking into it. I know Morrison and Forrester was right out of the gate with an app and a lot of Westlaw and Lexus and Fastcase, all these folks, every time I turn around, we're getting another press release for a company or a law firm or a vendor that has developed an app. Uh, I wasn't involved with it, but I know Latham released their first iPhone slash iPad app a few weeks ago. It's called The Book of Jargon. And it contains um, all kinds of terminology uh, used in mergers and acquisitions. Funny you should mention that because we just wrote that up for the November issue as well. And I was very intrigued since I'm somewhat notorious for my attitudes on jargon. So I, was, I thought that was a terrific uh, a product to put out. So what are the kinds of apps that the legal community can be developing not just for the iPad, but also, as you mentioned, for some of the uh, uh, Android, some of the smartphones that, that have the larger screens. What, what do you see as the frontier in the uh, concept? Well, I think it's going to work uh, first for litigation, but also for the, the, the corporate attorneys as well. Um, anywhere where you need to have a lot of information at your hand um, on short notice. Um, I think that a lot of the attorneys are using it so that they can surf the net if they need to do some legal research, uh, um, some unexpected legal research in the courtroom, or if they need to uh, draft up some sort of quick addendum to a contract. But the, I think more readily will be something, a series of very small apps, something that is very specific to a particular need. Um, and that could be anything from um, keeping track of witnesses to um, uh, scheduling to um, making sure that you know which exhibits have been entered and which still need to be entered during the course of a trial, all kinds of things like that. Do you expect that a lot of the existing e-discovery vendors will start cranking out apps addressing those types of specific finite um, tasks that you're describing? Do you see that on the horizon? To me, it seems like a lot of the apps that are coming from the e-discovery world are, are very big and very powerful and might not necessarily port over very well. 
But where they could see an opportunity would be in the display of documents or once the documents have already been searched and narrowed down to your relevant set, maybe they can use the iPad to um, do the review more readily or at least have them have the, the key ones at your fingertips. Do you see the law firms buying these for their entire um, professional folks? Or is that is that kind of a law firm by law firm? Well, I guess the question is really, are these going to become as ubiquitous as a laptop? I think that many firms, at least many large firms, will probably use this as a supplement or even in lieu of laptops because they are such an easy way um, for the attorneys to do work from outside the office. I know that I, I've recently uh, purchased an iPad, and my laptop usage has declined dramatically since I purchased the iPad. I would say that mine has too. I think the one issue that might be a determining factor is keyboard, because I sure can't do work very fast on a on the even though it's a nice big keyboard, I can't touch type on it like I can do with a keyboard. And I know I I bought and have yet to use an external dock that has a regular keyboard. Are you are you seeing folks using external keyboards if they're going to do heavy lifting writing? So far here in the tech department, we have not seen that. I'm sure that that day will come because, as you say, it is a little bit more challenging to do a lot of data entry using the iPad. But uh, there are ways to work around that, and um, perhaps we'll move to voice recording of, of information, or perhaps there will be um, some sort of a stylus type thing where you can handwrite on the iPad and it'll convert it to text. That'll be very, very interesting. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive a little bit under the hood and have you walk through what is involved in creating an app. We will be right back. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. And we are back. We are with John Cleves of Latham and Watkins Practice Support Supervisor. And John, you you gave us a little primer in the November issue of of Law Technology News, which again can be reached at www.lawtechnews.com on how to build your own app. Will you walk the audience through? I'm sure they're tearing their hair out and going, there's not a chance in hell I could do this. And and you're preaching that it's not that hard. So tell us how to do it. Sure. I've actually been pleasantly surprised about how easy it is. Um, I am not 
a computer programmer. I don't know code, and I certainly don't know whatever code it is that goes into making these um, apps run. But I did have an idea from working with the attorneys here for something that they could use in the courtroom, either on an iPhone or an iPad. And so I decided I would sit down and, and just with a blank piece of paper and just sketch out my idea. And um, once I'd sketched it out and, and sort of thought about it a bit, I visited with a couple of the attorneys and said, hey, do you think this would be a worthwhile app that you could use in court? And the attorneys gave me very positive feedback. So I decided, well, let's investigate further. And the first thing I did was I went to the Internet and did a search. I, I did a search for iPad developers or iPad programmers or something along those kinds of lines, and I found a whole bunch of them. There are all kinds of different ones, and they're all over the country. How did you vet the folks or choose or learn about how to, to decipher which one might be effective for your needs? That's a good question. I went to their websites, and I checked to see what kind of programs or what kind of apps they've already put out onto the marketplace. And I looked to see which ones seem to be more business-oriented and which ones, which of the developers had a number of programs on in the marketplace versus which ones didn't have very many at all. Once I had sort of narrowed it down to the ones that were businessy and, and did have apps in the marketplace, I looked for which ones were closest to me. And you mean physically closest? Physically closest. Which ones were closest to downtown Los Angeles? And I found a couple, and I, I started working with one, and here's where the first big hurdle came up. Um, I gave them, I sketched out my idea and I actually converted it from a hand-drawn sketch, the proverbial cocktail napkin, into a simple PowerPoint. And I emailed that off to them. And they came back with a quote. And as I said, the first hurdle was, the quote was tremendously much higher than I was expecting. It was just out of the ballpark for what I was looking to do. Can you so, give us a, a rough sense of, of what kind of money some of these folks are, are asking for? Sure. Well, this first one, which, as I say, is a pretty straightforward app. It wasn't very, you know, it wasn't very sophisticated. They were asking for over ten thousand dollars for it. Okay. So that was beyond what I could afford to to pay. So I kept on searching, and I found another uh, app developer happened to be located in Silicon Valley, which, although that's not necessarily close with today's email, it's it's close enough. And they made a point of. Uh, saying on their website that their actual programmers were overseas in India, but that the project management team was here in the U.S. And uh, their quote came back, and it was for a third of the price. It was for about $3,000, which was much more affordable, and I felt much more appropriate to what I think the final marketplace will be for this app. And what was the next step? The next step then was to uh, flesh out the PowerPoint a bit more, send it off to them, and then have a conference call where we went through every slide, I discussed everything that I wanted the app to be able to do. I even followed that up with an email really detailing out everything. So I tried to make sure that we were all on the same page as much as possible. To And the purpose of this was to narrow down the number of revisions that would have to be done. I point out in my article that building an app is similar to doing a renovation of your house. And as you know, if you're going through and renovating a, a kitchen or a bathroom, it's not necessarily the first renovation or the first part of the project that's so expensive. It's all of the changes that you do during the course of the renovation that really adds up to the, the price. And the same is true with building an app. If you can really storyboard it out at the very beginning, 
then there won't have to be a lot of changes later on down the road, and that'll keep the cost under control. That's a really good analogy. So on our adventure on building an app, what's the next step? The next step was the developer built what they called a wireframe. And a wireframe was a a bit more sophisticated than just a PowerPoint. They built it using their tools and then taking photographs or screen images of what they were building. It's a precursor to actually programming the app. But they were sort of fleshing out using their own tools. And then they sent that back to me and said, this is the way that the first screen will look. This is the way the second screen will look. What do you like? What do you want to change about it? And then what what was the step after that? At that point, after I made my suggestions to revise the wireframe, then they started programming it. And they've been sending updates ever since. They send me video clips every couple of weeks saying, here's how it's working, and, and do you like this? Would you like it to be changed? By video clips, I mean, it's again, it's a screen capture of uh, their screens that they've actually now coded for the app. And so I'm able to watch the video uh, on the internet and uh, tell them the revisions I like made. Now, in your article, you go into the difference between an alpha version and the beta version and then the final launch. Um, Can you walk our readers through those three stages? Sure. The alpha version is the version that that you are just testing purely yourself. You wouldn't want to release it to anybody else to see because it's really very rough. And so some of the pages are going to work, some of the links are going to work, some of the pages are not going to work, and some of the links are not going to work. And it's really just to make sure that the flow of the program is, is correct and that the, the, big, um, the big requirements of the app are in place. It is not to have all of the bells and whistles in, and it's certainly not to have it looking pretty. So you're definitely going to find some freezing in your alpha. You're going to find some hiccups in your alpha. And the, the point is to, to basically stand there to get it all put together, to get the structure built at this point. When you move on into beta, that's when you're going to be having some of your friends or coworkers or, or some other people testing it to really fine-tune it. And that's where you're going to make sure every single link works, every single page does what it's supposed to do. And you're really going to be going back and forth very frequently with your developer on minor details to really polish it so it looks perfect. And then the final one is the launch. And then the final one is the launch. And with the launch, nowadays, you need to decide, are you going to be putting it on the marketplace as a paid app, which users will have to purchase, uh, which for the iPad in particular works well because it just goes through the the iPad store or the app app store. Um, Or if you want to be placing ads into it, and in which case you're not going to be having the users purchase it from you, but the um, ads that you place will be paying you for their product placement. Or if, like with the Book of Jargon, it's just going to be released for free as a um, sort of like a lost leader to generate business and bring in new work. Well, I really appreciate the roadmap that you've given us. We've been talking with John Cleves, a practice support supervisor in the Los Angeles office of Lathan and Watkins and a member of the LTN editorial board. John, if our listeners would like to reach out to you and get any more information, what's the best way to contact you? Definitely via email, john.cleaves, C-L-E-A-V-E-S, at lw.com. 
Well, we've run out of time. We could easily spend another hour and a half or more on this subject. Probably the hottest subject in legal right now, legal technology. I, I joke with everyone that this year's buzzword is revolutionary, but the only person who's allowed to use it in LTN is Steve Jobs, and we can certainly see why. Uh, I want to take a moment for our, our monthly shout-outs of thanks to Jill Winwer and the gang at Law.com. In Boston, to Luann Reeb, Scott Hess, Mike Hockman, and Kate Kenny at the Legal Talk Network. To my ALM producer, David Jasper. And as always, our final send-off to remember that there is no crying in technology or baseball, even for Yankees and Red Sox fans in October. See you next month. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.